Good morning, Fellowship High Crest. Good morning. Um, a little bit. Y'all been warmed up a little bit. It's here on Resurrection Sunday. And, you know, I'm visiting. I want to let you know today that I will um, use on the screen, and those page numbers correlate to the blue Bibles that are in your seat. If you don't have a Bible that's yours, then please take that one as our gift to you. If you don't have one that's easy to read, then please take that one as our gift to you. Um, If you know someone that doesn't have a Bible or doesn't have one that's easy to read, please take that one and give it to them as a gift from the both of us. Now, if uh, a Spanish Bible would be um, easier for you to follow us in, we do have those available. Just raise your hand and our ushers will get you one of those. If you need it, the Bible is made up of two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament, which our focal passage for today comes from, uh, starts off with four books known as the Gospels, and they simply chronicle the life of Jesus as he walks the earth. And the first three of those um, Gospels, those first four books are called the Synoptic Gospels. And what they simply mean is they, they tell the same stories, but from different points of views. Like I am a Rangers fan. And so last night, um, all the Astros fans watched the same game that I watched, but watched it from a losing point of view. <laughs> all right. And then you get to the fifth book of the New Testament, which is Acts. And then you get to uh, a bunch of books written by this guy named Paul, these, these letters. And that's where we find our focal text for this morning. And so I want to get right into it. Our focal passage comes from the book of Colossians. And our focal passage is Colossians 1, verses 9 through 20. It's found on page 711 of those blue Bibles that are in your seats. And I want to get in there because we have a ways to travel this morning. There in Colossians chapter 1, starting with the ninth verse, I hear some of you still flipping. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and things we can't see such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all 
who rise from the dead. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This is God's word. For my money and my opinion, it's hard to beat spring as a season. When I think of spring, I think of the world as it should be with playoff basketball on TV. You have your own version of spring and I have mine. Kind of kidding, but also a world where we're free of injustice and exploitation and deceit or greed. A world cleared of pollution, viruses, and sickness and death. A world where bullies are confronted and those on the margins are invited in to participate. A, a world where people are accepted and, for, and affirmed no matter what. When I think of spring, I think of the world as it should be. I think of a world where we're at peace, where we're without fear or worry, a world of faith and hope and love, a world where we have perfectly balanced relationships. When I think of spring, you know, Christianity started with the greatest church planter the world has ever known in 12 guys. And today, over half the Christians who have ever lived are alive. That's progress. You can talk to someone on the side of the world and see their face just through a device that you carry in your pocket. That's progress. UT has been able to climb because of medical advancements. That's progress. Some diseases that existed that once ravaged our world have been eradicated. That's progress. And with all the progress that we have made, we've seen mass incarceration at an all-time high. We have more slaves in the world than we've ever had. People are being exploited by pharmaceutical companies for And we are more divided as a people than we have ever been. Flint, Michigan, a city in one of the most advanced countries in the world, doesn't have clean water. I mean, we have school kids who are getting permanent brain damage because a city will save a couple of hours. Depression is at an all-time high. And if we're honest, it is hard to deny that progress has occurred. And it's also hard to deny that we still have a long way to go. What we find ourselves in, in the midst of our communities, in the midst of our homes, in the midst of our jobs, in the midst of our schools, is we find ourselves in the middle of a gap. Our hearts believe the dream of what we could be, but life has burned into our eyes and our brains the realities of what we are. It seems like something is wrong when we think about the progress that we've made. It's hard not to struggle with the gap between what we could be and what should be and what really is. But what closes the gap? If the gap still exists, 
with all the progress that we have made, what is the awakening that we need to close the gap? The gap between what the vision that we have in our heart and the realities that God and the world has burned into our eyes. Our focal passage is a prayer that Paul prayed for his readers who were living in a similar type of situation. They also felt the gap between the vision and what they were experiencing in life. They felt the pull between how things should be and could be and how things were. And so Paul opens this letter with a a few words of prayer and speaking to God on their behalf and at the same time encouraging them on how to deal with the gap in their lives. And by the way, if anyone could understand the gap, it was Paul, because as he penned these words, he was sitting in prison. So for just a few moments this morning, I would like to spend a little time looking at Paul's words and encouraging all of us who are fighting the good fight. Early on in my marriage, um, my wife indicated that she was going to make a grocery store run. And while she was getting ready to go, I told her that we needed some mayo. Now, when my wife returned home, uh, she had in her bag the cheapest mayo that she could find at the store. Now, after reevaluating my spousal choices, (laughs) I was sad to inform her that only Hellman's is mayonnaise. Everything else, no matter how hard they try to improve, would not be mayo. Now, now uh, there are some things that, that when we go shopping, we buy the store brand or the generic brand, or, or we, we go with the cheapest thing that we can find. But when it comes to sandwiches and mayo, only Hellman's is mayo. Everything else is a condiment out there in the street. And see, as long as you use any other type of mayo, as much as they try to improve, your sandwich will never taste the way that it really could. Progress is good, but in some areas of life, relative improvement just doesn't move the needle enough. We need transformation. We need something new. So early on in my marriage, I was able to share some sandwich and condiment wisdom with my wife, and it has strengthened our marriage each day. But what about the rest of life? What is the standard out there that pulls at our heart, that tugs at everything inside of us, that lets us know that things are not as they should be? It's like an inner spidey sense that's tingling in us that says, this is not the way it's supposed to be. I understand that all of us in this room might not agree on what that greater thing is. I understand that that some of us in this room might not agree that there is something greater, that that some in this room might just think that all that we see is all that there is, and everything that we do is the result of a chemical reaction. And I don't want to argue what you believe. What I would like to do is use Paul's words to explain uh, 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 for how those believing 
Christ to be who the scriptures say they are. Deal with the gap. And how those who follow Christ use those words to follow him. So in verses 15 through 20 of our focal passage, Paul explains and he lays out these three big concepts about who Christ is that helps us deal with the gaps that we experience in life. And here's what they are. The first one is Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Now, in Genesis 1 and 27, it says that man was made in the image. It was in in the likeness, in the image of God. But in our focal passage, it says that Christ is the image of God. The words used here are, are used and chosen to convey that in him, the being and nature of God have been perfectly um, displayed, that in him, uh, the invisible has become visible. And, and so we don't always do the right thing. Even those of us who are trying to follow Christ, who are trying to do the right thing, that are trying to live the right life, we'll, if we're honest with one another, we don't always do the right thing. We don't always respond in the right way. We don't always show the right amount of patience. We don't always say the right thing. We don't always tell the whole truth. And that causes a gap. We try to trace our lives after Christ, and even in the most careful of efforts, there's still a gap that exists. Both Christians and non-Christians contribute to that gap in our world. It seems like every time I go to the store, there's a, a sticker on some product saying that it's improved, that it's, it's better than what it used to be. Paul was saying it like this. He's saying that Kraft and Dukes and all the other condiment companies out there may be improving, may be better than they were, but they'll never be helmets until they become something new. The gap that we feel can't be progressed out of. It's going to take an awakening to something new. Then in that section Paul goes on and he says that that Christ is the originator, the the agent and the goal of creation. In verses 15 through 16, he's saying that Christ is the builder and architect of of all of creation. Everything flowed from him. What is he saying and why is this of any kind of significance? Well, one of the reasons is was, was all the other Eastern religions around at that time, the ones that were practiced around them said that God was in nature, that God was kind of in the spirit of the world, that God was kind of kind of in everything and flowing through everything. But here, um, Paul was making a case of how Christ is different from all the other gods that they may have heard of or saw served around him. He said that everything proceeded from Christ rather than God coming from everything else. Why does this matter? See, if the God of the Bible is the same as all the other gods, then, only, then our only means of seeing change in our world are the same things that everyone else uses. And if the only tools at our disposal are progress and progress isn't working, then that means all hope is lost. But then Paul goes further. There's this little phrase at the end of verse 16. If you're looking in your scriptures at, at the end of verse 16, there's this little phrase where Paul says that everything was created through him. Now, let me break down why this is important. Christians and non-Christians alike all sense that while things are progressing in the world, that they're not 
as they should be, that they could be better. The thing is, if the scriptures are true, if what we feel and experience is true, and, and that is that, that human progress is not closing the gap on human brokenness, then if, if progress won't work, then the only uh, thing that will bring about change is whole-scale transformation. And, and if what Paul wrote at the end of verse 16 is true, what that means is that, that newness only comes through Christ and everything outside of Christ is just progress. But here's the deal. See, I, I, I've tried the other improved condiments. I, I went back to them a time or two and I had a coupon and I went in and I bought one of those other jars of mayo and, and it still just didn't make my sandwich taste right. I've tried all the self-help books and I'm still anxious. I've tried to make myself more loving and, and forgiving and peaceful and kind and it's just not working. I don't need more progress. I need something new. And that something new can only come through Jesus Christ because he is the vehicle through which creation arrives. Then Paul makes this other big claim. He says that Christ is the sustainer of creation. Paul says that that, that Christ holds all things together in verse 17. Now, that phrase, hold it together, it, it was not a phrase that Christ followers normally used, but it was a phrase that was well known in the time and in the period of that time. And, and it was used by the Stoics, these people that didn't follow Christ, and it, what it meant was to keep a, a stiff upper lip. Now, some of y'all got friends that cry a lot. And, and, and you can always tell when they get ready to cry, why? Because that upper lip starts to twitch, and you're trying to tell yourself to keep it together. Don't lose it. Don't, don't, don't do it. Pull it together. And what they were saying is, it was saying that, that you got to keep it together. It, was, it meant to keep, to hold it together, it meant to have a stiff upper lip. And so what is Paul saying here? What is Paul saying here? This gets good. He's saying Christ holds together things that you see coming apart. He, he's, he's, this is good. He's, have you ever discovered you're using the wrong tool for, for the job? Like, like people who use knives instead of spoons to spread their sandwiches. But Paul says that the reason that there is order in the universe. The reason why science works is because everything falls under the kingship of Christ. Christ and science are not at odds. Christ holding all things together uh, allows orderliness in the universe. And, And observing that orderliness and being able to predict it is what we call science. The universe has order because of him, because it's under his lordship, because he's before all things and holds all things together before, because he's the king of kings and the lord of lords. So, so as you look at your life, does your life have order or is it in chaos? Uh, is it falling apart? Paul says this. He says, to the degree that you place your life under the lordship of Christ, to that degree your life will be held together. And to the degree that you place your life 
under your own lordship, under your own mastery, under the way that you reject his lordship, to that degree, your life will be falling apart. Now, I, I, I know, I know this sounds hard. I know you're saying that one of my uh, best friends is dying of cancer. Oh, 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 I've just lost my job, and I know that you can't get pregnant, and I know that your foster kid is acting up, and I know that you can't finalize your adoption, and I know that it seems like your life may be falling apart, but that's the wrong tool for the job. See, because here is what makes your life fall apart. It's not what happens to you. It's how you react to it. Cancer has come into your life. You've lost your job. You, you can't get pregnant. You, will you fall apart or, or will you hold together? What will you do? Paul says it's completely dependent on how much you're under the lordship of Christ. How are you going to react? Are you going to fall apart when that thing happens? In him, all things hold together. In him, he holds you together. In him, we find what we need. If you're not holding together, then you need to get in him. Paul says that, that this same Jesus that holds the universe together will hold your life together even while living in a world full of gaps. The same thing that causes us to equate bad things happening in our lives with our life falling apart is the same thing that disables us from seeing how to enter into the kingship of Christ. As I stated in my opening that Paul was praying this prayer to readers in the city of Colossae. They were experiencing the gap of life and wondering how to close that gap. And Paul's answer in the second part of our focal passage that we discovered was that those living outside of Christ try to progress themselves out of the gap. But those in Christ understand that God works in a different way. The way God works is he transforms people who transforms places and thereby leave godly legacies of moving things more toward the way that God intended them to be. But how does God transform people? In verses 9 through 10, Paul says that someone increases in knowledge and wisdom of the king's will. They continually grow, and as they live in that way of that knowledge and that wisdom that they're gaining by, by learning more about God, then they are continually transformed and the world around them transformed. This, this inside transformation flows out of their life and starts to transform the world around them. It's a process, but what starts the process? What is the catalyst? How do you get into the kingdom in the first place? Well, you know, the best way to describe it, there's some shows on TV that you love and that you hate at the same time. You know what I mean? Like one of them is the show Undercover Boss. You love it because you know that it's going to be a good story. And the reason you hate it is because it always messes with your sinuses. <laughs> right? But on the show, there's a business owner or an executive that, that wants to improve their business in and what they could do, they have the position and the authority and the resources where they could call the play and just have everybody run it. But that's not what they do, right? What they do is they humble themselves. They lower themselves. And they go experience life with 
their workers and hear about the day-to-day trials and the gaps that they're facing in their life and, and, and the struggles that they're going through. And then they reveal themselves and they provide them with, with, with resources and positions that, that they don't have to. They, they give them opportunities to transform their personal lives and the lives of their company and the lives of their families. And, you know, Jesus was the first undercover boss. He left glory and took on the weakness of flesh. He, he suffered and then he sacrificed. He died on the cross. And just like those employees on television, the show did nothing to deserve their opportunity to be on that show other than being known by the boss. That is how Paul describes what takes place between us and Christ. In verse 12, Paul says that Christ enables us to share in this inheritance. In other words, on our own, no matter how much we try, no matter how uh, much we progress, we'll never be worthy to share in Christ's inheritance. But in him, under his lordship, we become worthy. And as we come to know just what it means to be under his lordship, we grow in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. We exhibit the fruit of the spirit. We, we grow and we are transformed from the inside out by his Holy Spirit, which we receive, which he gave to us, not because of what we earn, but all those who are under his kingship. Our core being renewed brings out transformation that flows into the world that we live in. But how does this transformation happen? Paul simply says in verse 13 that we were rescued. We needed a hero. We couldn't do it ourselves. And in verse 14, he tells us the cost of that rescue to take place. He says that Christ paid the cost for our freedom, that Christ made the sacrifice, that Christ bridged the gap that existed between us and God. It, it, it took all of him, and in return, he asked for all of us. Harriet Tubman, the, the famed conductor of the Underground Railroad, said, you know, I freed a thousand slaves, and I would have been able to free a thousand more if they would have known they were slaves. We can spend our entire lives as slaves to progress, believing that the secret to closing the gap that we sense in the world will come from us trying harder. Or we can awaken to the fact that our resurrected king has already won. In him is deliverance. In him, things are made new. In him, we are made worthy. In him, things are held together. In him, we move, live, and have our being. While all the events of your life on this side of eternity won't be as they should be, that doesn't mean that we can't have hearts that are. We keep looking for material and situational transformation, and God offers something greater. He offers eternity and legacy transformation. So what are his terms? They're what they've always been. The first one is this, to surrender. Accept the work of Christ for you. Turn from your sins. Turn from your own way and trust in the king. The next one is to follow. Open your heart to the king and follow the king in his way. And the third is rest. Trust in the king. For the first time or for the first time in a long time, 
Get rest for your weary soul. We can all sense the gap, and that gap causes us to crave a kingdom. Every kingdom has a king, and Jesus is the king. We have to awaken to the king. Awaken to the king and place your trust in him. Say, God, I'm willing to surrender to you. I'm willing to allow Jesus to deliver me out of the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of progress, and into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of transformation. Say, God, I'm... I will follow you, even though I don't know exactly what that means for tomorrow. Today, I will follow the king with my heart and allow him to build his kingdom in me. Say, I will rest in you. I will stop trying and start trusting. I will step away from doing and trust in what has already been done for me. Romans 10 9 through 10 says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. I want to be clear this morning. It doesn't say that if you have gone to church, that if you are part of a small group, that if you serve on a ministry team, that if you know some scriptures or if, even if you've given some money, it says if you believe and openly declare. If you have not done that, then let today be your day. Don't put it off. I want to be real with you. I know that some of you stepped into this room saying, man, I didn't believe all the stuff that you said today. I didn't come in here believing all the things that you were saying today. And you might have said some things that gave me some things to think about. And so I'll go home and think about them and get back with you one day. About this, I want to be real with you about the fact that I want to be sensitive to the fact that we don't want you to make a decision that you're not ready to make. But I also want to express the urgency that exists because all the doubt was that that if you put this one day, the likelihood of one day coming diminishes over time. The longer you resist surrendering to Christ. The longer you resist surrendering to the king, the longer you resist following the king, the longer you resist resting in the king, the chances of you doing it goes down. I want to be sensitive to where you're at and where you may be struggling, but I also want to express there is urgency in this decision that you don't have forever for this decision. Confess it right now. Jesus, I surrender to you. You lived, died, and rose for me. Jesus, uh, I turn my sins from my sins and trust in following you. Thank you for loving me, for saving me, for forgiving me, and please help me to find rest in you and live for your kingdom. If today is your first day making that decision, then, then what should you do? What are your next steps? Tell someone. Tell someone that you came with. Tell, um, tell someone who's a believer. Tell us by marking on the cord or, or, or finding someone with the purple lanyard on after service and tell them. Let our prayer partners pray with you and connect you with some life-giving resources that will help you follow the king. Tell the world. The first followers of Jesus 
didn't just tell each other, they told the world. And we do that through baptism. Baptism is how we go public with our relationship with Christ. We like to say it's like going Facebook official in our relationship with Jesus. Maybe if today you stepped over the line of faith for the first time and you surrendered and you said, I'm going to follow and you saying, I'm going to rest in him. If today is your first day doing that, then let your next step be your first step of obedience and the easiest step of obedience, which is baptism. We have clothes. We have towels. We can make that happen. Or maybe you stepped over the line of faith some time ago and you just have never took this step of obedience. Let today be the day. Let today be the day that you surrender, the day that you follow, and the day that you rest. And then there's there's some of us here that maybe we've stepped across the line of faith and we have gone public with our faith. And we just need to reconnect with the kingdom. We've all wandered from the king at times in our lives. Reconnect with the king. Allow his kingdom to come into your life and renew your heart. Maybe you haven't taken a step to go through a rooted. Maybe you're not in a small group. Meet us here for family dinner on Wednesday night at 5 o'clock. If you don't have a group, you'll spend some time with me learning how to study the scriptures for yourself. We'll have dinner together. We'll laugh together. We'll play some games together. We'll pray together. We'll worship together. And then you'll get to study, learn how to study the scriptures for yourself. Tell someone, go public, reconnect. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful. We're thankful that you didn't allow the gap to continue. That you sent your son to live the life we couldn't live and die the death that we couldn't die in order to pay the cost that we couldn't pay. Father, while we're still learning each and every day what it means to truly place our lives under your kingship, we're thankful. We ask if there's anyone here this morning, Father, that they're still trying to figure it out on their own, they're still trying to evaluate on their own, that they would, they would truly find rest. They would truly surrender. They would say, today's the day I begin to follow. They would realize that they can't get worthy enough on their own, that they can't qualify themselves, that they've been qualified by the blood of Jesus Christ. So, Father, we ask you right now, in this place, for those who need encouraging, that you would encourage them to continue running, to continue following even in the midst of gaps. To remind them that you are holding it together through Christ. For those that came into this place looking for hope, Father, I pray that they see that it's found in your son, Jesus Christ. For those who want to be new, Father, I pray that they 
they know that it's found in Jesus Christ. And may we be people who share that good news with others. We pray these things in your darling son Jesus' name. Amen.